0: Hello and welcome to the Right For Your Life podcast. I'm joined as ever by Donna Sorensen, but I'm actually in her house.
1: You are, it's very exciting. I feel like it's, um, I don't know, it's like a live show, but it's always live. But this is just something different.
0: It's live and in person. We don't have an audience or anything, which is disappointing. We did invite a few people, they turned us down. (laughs) Yeah. Or they're in the kitchen.
1: Making our food.
0: Indeed. We should say before we start, we have got some beverages next to us. If you hear any clunking or clonking, then it's either one of us trying to think of something to say, or it's us putting our glasses slash bottles onto the table.
1: Yeah. I'm a bit worried about it now because it is quite loud, and I was excited about having a little tipple during this episode because it's our joint birthday podcast episode.
0: It is our joint birthday podcast. When were you born?
1: (laughs) What, the year or the...
0: Well, it, it it's it would be uh, discourteous. Is that a word? Possibly, it would be discourteous of me <laughs> to uh, ask you to do that. But
1: which day? I did straight away. Which day of the week? <laughs> no, I'm just going to tell you straight out. I was born four weeks, um, no, five weeks to the day before the end of the 1970s.
0: Okay. How? Oh, okay, so 1979
1: 27th of November, yeah
0: Okay, I could have, uh, I should have worked that in my head And, and I'll edit out the gap um, So the 27th of November And my birthday is the 28th of November um, Which in real terms was yesterday and, um, and But there's a year apart, you're older than me I am This is all very interesting for everyone But it does mean that we are drinking alcohol
1: <laughs> Well, you know, you've got to celebrate another year, haven't you? And it's great, it's been a fantastic year Fantastic writing year
0: Indeed, it has. And um, speaking of writing, which we are... As we always do. Um, today we're going to be talking about, well, a couple of things. Well, three things. The first one is going to be absolutely disgusting. We apologise for that.
1: But not eye operations, because one listener asked us not to talk about eye operations again.
0: They did, and that's fair enough, so we will not.
1: <laughs> I promise not to. but
0: um, well, it wasn't me anyway, it was you. It okay. wasn't I brought it. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then we're going to be talking about uh, creativity, but creative people. And then we're going to relate it back specifically to probably ourselves a little bit, but writing and writers in general.
1: And the listeners. We'd love to know how they relate to, uh, to what we're going to talk about.
0: We do. This is, this is going to be based on an article by um, a chap called Matthew Schuler, And he wrote an article called Why Creative People Sometimes Make No Sense. And um, so whether we are all basically contradictions let's assume that if you listen to this you're a creative person and so we're going to be asking you to think about whether you are a contradiction yourself and uh, we're going to be going through some points that um, Matthew makes and um, and talking about them and then finally in the last section of the show we're going to be talking about I'm
1: ready I'm ready to, listen to these questions.
0: Listeners questions And the question we're going to be trying to answer today is How do you get from This sounds like a story Which could become a nice novel To
1: I'm writing oh, this know. novel
0: And um, And it's a tricky question It's multi-layered And faceted
1: Because you, you, you answer it from the different side um, To me I mean I can, I can write it because I'm Well not write it I can answer it In a way that says Look I'm stuck on that first bit You've got to the other side
0: mm. I have got to the other side A whole a, novel An inopportune moment for me to take a swig <laughs> um, So yes, we'll, we'll be answering that question too But first, dirty filth on the book libraries <laughs> Which is the note that I've written down here
1: <laughs> Books, libraries, books so, Oh, I love this, so, so, this is,
0: so this is something that you picked up
1: How dare you? I did not. No, it was a bunch of Belgian researchers, apparently. Typical. Typical Belgians um, who have been testing library books. And the first thing that they found was that nearly all library books that they tested, is that not the case, had traces of cocaine on them all the library books nearly all of them I come believe come on that's said. not the bit I read all the library books had coke nearly on them nearly all of them that they
0: tested <laughs> exactly like the way I said coke then like <laughs> just, I just saw through <laughs> the hair there
1: intimate friends no but the most interesting part was that all the books of 50 all the 50 shades of grey books they tested had traces of herpes on them yes. which was quite a revelation to me I, I took Ivy my little daughter into the library recently and I haven't done that for ages and I loved it um and I haven't actually been into a library for a very long time, but it just put a whole new, well, slant on library books for me. How did you feel after reading it? Or did you rush down to the library to get your hands on a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey?
0: I felt mildly repulsed, <laughs> but not entirely surprised. Because where, where would you, if you were going to buy a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey, or let's say some other dirty, filthy tat, mm-hmm. would you rather go to a shop like a supermarket or to um a bookstore like Waterstones or Barnes & Noble or wherever or would you rather go down to your local library
1: a quiet library where everyone is like watching what everyone else is doing and going shh and when you put the book on the counter it's loud enough that they turn around and look at what it is and that you get judged by the librarian so you'd you'd rather go to a, a I'd shop. rather anonymously go into a shop and um get the top shelf mag off <laughs> <laughs> no, all Fifty Shades of Grey, whatever it's. Judy Bloom, it used to be when I was younger. Did you ever read Judy Bloom books? Um,
0: no. We well, well, never read uh,
1: Forever. That was a. Everyone in school used to just always be passing that book around to each other. Who <laughs> look and read this scene?
0: No, I I I didn't read any filth until I went to university.
1: Well, I think maybe this is a difference between girls and boys.
0: That's so why they mature faster, perhaps.
1: Oh yeah, exactly. We're all sitting there poring over Judy Bloom. Well, and later Fifty Shades of Grey.
0: Uh, yeah, well, indeed. It, is, it was heavily bought by uh, women.
1: I wonder if they're the, the culprits in the library scandal. For the herpes? Mm. Who knows?
0: Who knows? But it's something we felt was worth sharing in <laughs> the podcast.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So the motto, be careful when you're out there in the libraries. Just be a little bit careful of what you pick up.
0: Yeah. You never know what you're going to get. Yes, quite. Which in some ways is the beauty of a library. But in this particular case is... Um, well it's just not pleasant mm-hmm. So topic number two is uh, uh, probably more useful to you <laughs>
1: um,
0: It's going to be based on a an article by Matthew Shuler called Why creative people sometimes make no sense And in it he is quoting heavily Are you ready for this?
1: Oh good luck I mean th- this person has a f- quite It's an amazing name
0: it's a book called Creativity, The Work and Lives of 91 Eminent People, and that's written by Mahali Sixcent Mahalis. Mahali <laughs> Sixcent Mahalis.
1: Sixcent so Mahali, um, who's a professor of psychology and management, and the founding co-director of the Quality of Life Research Centre at Claremont. Indeed. it's quite a
0: title. It is quite a title. So where did you find this article from? Because it wasn't one that I'd uh, picked up.
1: I think it was via the tweet box. But I, I the, the reason that I thought it might be nice to talk about this today was because I, while I associated with some of the points on this list, that's maybe a bit optimistic, I wanted to be the people on this list. I thought, that sounds like the kind of person I would like to be. And I wondered whether the listeners found traces of themselves in these points here about creative people and what they're most likely to be like
0: okay so before we start what is it about um um you as a creative person how do you define yourself as a creative person what do you think makes you creative do you think you're a creative person
1: well i guess i i it's what i had always hoped i would be and i was always worried that i wasn't that i had too much of you know like playing everything safe in my life that's a point we'll come to later on about playfulness versus productivity in writing um and I would like to think I'm more creative now than I potentially was for before. And I just said a Danish word there, I'm sorry. Did you want I that? I did, I said fur, which meant before, and I meant to say before. Um, <laughs> I think I'm just going to have a little swig of my champagne a minute. <laughs> it's not champagne, it's, it's cheap plonk. Um, so yes, I think that the parts of this that I really like that we'll um, explore a little bit more... Are that they're a little bit of everything, creative people. I would like to think that I can, um, you know, concentrate for long periods of time if I need to, but that I could also be quite energetic in different situations and rushing around doing different things.
0: Yeah, it's a tricky one. I think I I think that I would call myself. I mean, first of all, I don't think there's any situation in which I would refer to myself as a creative person without feeling like a massive wally for yes, doing so. Exactly. It's a bit sort of. Yeah. Naff, isn't it? However, I think that I do internally consider myself a creative person, but primarily because I, I, that I would rather that than be. And I'm so I apologise so much to people out there who are this. But for example, an estate agent, or an accountant, or someone who is I don't know, even as a scientist, because I'm not that. That's not. I don't have that way of thinking. I don't have that. Uh, those that kind of uh, that type of ambition i suppose i'm not sure that's the right word mm. but i don't think in that way
1: but it's also maybe because you don't see the world in that way yes yeah maybe like a scientist it's, you know i mean to, to want to even do that in the first place you have to look at the world in a certain way and i think that this is the thing that was really interesting about this is that creative people look in the world look at the world in a certain way
0: that's true and you only know that you Look at the world in a certain way. If there is, there, there always has to be, and a, a, a something else, a sense of otherness. There has mm-hmm. to be something that you're pitched against. Mm-hmm. And so I pitched myself in the creative camp as opposed to the fantastic at mass camp,
1: yeah. so to speak. Absolutely.
0: Um, okay, so let's uh, let's go. With this so this is a nine point list. We won't um, hopefully labour this too much, but um, I do think it's interesting to think about how you. How you became to be a writer? Because can. Some people write, and it's and it's and it's genuinely a, a hobby, and and uh, not something that you something that you that you do all the time. Mm. But you don't take it perhaps. No, that's not fair. I was going to say you don't take it seriously, because that. But that's not true. If you do something all the time, then you do take it seriously. But if it, if it's something that's sort of a huge part of your life, then something that how you define yourself is really important um, but a lot of writers sort of stop short of, of calling themselves a writer even though they are writers i mean i know people who are professional writers who still mm-hmm. say i'm not really a writer it's just you know i'm rubbish i'm useless
1: but that's i do you not think that that's it i mean we'll come well we, we could we don't need to talk about them in order
0: hey we? let's let's mix let's this sort of
1: wing up it. number 6 on those lists is that most creative people are genuinely humble and display a strong sense of pride at the same time talking about those contradictions but do you not think that's something to do with humility and like like you were saying oh you know you're a great big nonce if you call yourself creative
0: i mean self-deprecation is something that most writers are very good at it's kind of how i am a lot of the time i think maybe i'm not maybe i'm a big arrogant maybe i'm a big arrogant idiot but i do um Humility is a is ex- extremely important. I think to be any sort of creative person because otherwise you have no way of of improving because you already think that you are mm-hmm. the bee's knees. That's it. And um, and, and so, uh, but it's difficult to. I've, I have talked about this before, but it's difficult to be really confident at the same time. How do you manage? How do you uh, how do you be confident about what you're doing, mm. and and at the same time. Be willing to say, actually, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't great. I can do better.
1: But you see, that that's an, obviously a necessary part, according to this list, of being creative. The fact that that is a constant uh, struggle in life, and that's what drives creativity.
0: Maybe, but it, I mean, th- th- this I mean, this article is talking about the traits of a creative person. But actually, thinking about it, a lot of people are like, a lot of people don't, a lot of writers don't have humility. But maybe they're not just not. Not, <laughs> I can't say they're not maybe very good that's writers. I further
1: down the line. I don't know. But it's true. You, you. I mean, you know, if someone's going to ask you if you've, you know, who's published ten novels, they come to you and they say you're creative. They're not going to sit there and be like, well, you know, like like we are. I'd like to think I am, or oh, I wouldn't like to call myself creative. They're just going to say
0: yes. I wouldn't like to call myself creative just because I think it sounds a bit a bit kind of a bit rubbish. But but I, I, but I know that I am. And for the reasons I just said Because I know that I'm not an accountant So therefore I go, well okay, what else is there I'll I'll be creative But yeah, it is You do have to uh, have a certain I don't know I mean sense of pride is the other half of this So the the, the contradiction here is that Creative people are genuinely humble But show a strong sense of pride But maybe that's the same thing as confidence When
1: they feel that they get something right I guess that's the key Then they're very proud about it Yeah um A lot of these are quite dichotomous, wouldn't you say? A lot of these points. Like number two, most creative people tend to be smart and naive at the same time. So it involves a fluency or the ability to generate a great quantity of ideas, flexibility, or the ability to switch from one perspective to another.
0: Yes, and the last part of that is quoting from the book, which is by the person with the extraordinarily long name. Um, I don't know, what do you think? Most creative people tend to be smart and naive at the same time. What do you think that naive means in this context?
1: I think that, like, it's like you want to... Well, when... Uh, yeah. Is that how you spell naive?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I a- thought it, For, 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 I thought it for the, the, the people little. not sat in this room with us. <laughs> uh, it's spelled N-A-I-V-E.
1: I thought it had the little... Had on it. Well,
0: then maybe... But I don't know if... Um, maybe the person who wrote this, maybe if Matthew Schuler was writing on a keyboard that didn't have a special symbol
1: Maybe um, I th- The idea about switching from one perspective To another I'm sure is vital If you're going to be writing Something longer like a novel don't you think Like, Well you're not going to be writing it From your own perspective So you have switched into somebody else's perspective Or another perspective
0: that's true, but it's this idea of naivety that I find quite interesting because I think I feel like I am quite naive, for example, on a very practical level. So, I'm, so the opposite, okay, smart and naive. Maybe they're not great, great opposites, but I suppose I'm smart in the sense that anyone who writes anything half decent needs to have some sort of, you know, something about them. But the idea of being naive is for me is things like I, I think something will take half an hour, and it takes me an hour. I think a novel will take me two years to write, and it takes me eight or something like that. So there's that kind of that kind of um, with when you're being creative, when you're trying to create something, when you're trying to write, you do get overcome with uh, excitement, and you think this is amazing, it's going to be brilliant, and you start to think, you stop thinking practically about things, and you start um, um, just I don't know, getting caught up in the moment, I suppose. So that's kind of what naivety means to me. I think a lot of creative people do just go with it and and uh, they need to employ people like accountants and estate agents to do that kind of thing for them.
1: Well, I think this point means that you need to... If you're going to sit down and seriously take writing to the next, you know, to, well, beyond just kind of tinkering around here and there, you need to know about things. Or you need to want to know about things. So that's the smart side of that equation there. Yeah. So you need to be able to put things down on paper that make sense and are believable but at the same time you need to be open to the outrageous and the unexpected and the things that are left afield that might not, might not be real I mean I think like sometimes in my poetry I've, I've talked about things um, which I don't think are real but I can imagine them being real and I can imagine other people being, thinking that they're real which I guess is the smart side of it but then there's times when there are things that I would love to believe and things that I think are, are quite unexplainably magic. But I think that's the naivety here, that you have to have that little bit of sense of wonder about the world because if you thought that everything is explainable by some kind of equation, then you're not necessarily going to be able to put something down on paper that makes people think, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way.
0: That's true. That's quite an interesting. Uh, that's quite interesting. I hadn't thought about it like that. So if you've got for if you if you're writing something and you've got, um, you think something might be really kind of fantastical. It's a good idea. You think it's great. You want to write about it, um, but you just think, well, that's not. that's just not. It just wouldn't be the case. It's just not practical to do that kind of thing. You need to let loose and just go for it and see where it takes you. And if it doesn't work once you finish, then mm. fine. But if it you know if it does work, then you. You've, you've created something really special that you wouldn't have if you didn't have the naivety to yeah. just go for it.
1: Yeah. Uh, you take my dad, for example, who I think is a very rational person, and someone okay. who is very much on the other side of the spectrum, although he does he does a lot of writing, actually. Hi, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember talking about the f- the film Moon. Have you seen that film?
0: I have seen the film Moon.
1: I, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And I was kind of taken away in the whole idea of, you know, I won't spoil it, but the kind of fiction side of it, the science fiction side mm. of it and I just said it to my dad and he was like absolute tripe worst thing I've ever seen that could never happen because of this 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 and this Yeah. Um, which was very very interesting and I, I felt like I'd had this experience during the film where I was you know had thought about things in a slightly different way I was you know surprised by it I don't think my dad was surprised in the same way and I was wondering whether that was because he thought about the world in a different way
0: but see now that worries me because I, I I generally lean more towards your dad's your dad's way of thinking. There, I find it really I can think of two examples. I find it difficult to watch any kind of action film starring Arnold Schwarzenegger or his like. Um, I struggle with some sci-fi unless it's completely out there, like the world. But this is to, this is actually relevant to writing, I think, because it's to do with building a world that's believable. So if it's, um, if it's a world that's entirely, that, that works within itself, so I'm talking about, I don't know, it'd be good if I had an example really, but if you're talking about a world that's that's a science fiction, like a, a made up entirely different planet type world, but everything within the world that you've created kind of makes sense, not in a human way, but there's some, there's some actual logic to it and some consistency, then I can believe it. And I'm with you. I thought Moon was kind of okay. I could sort of I could get, get through that. But anything where the, the, the laws that we know are completely like destroyed, and, and then, then I struggle with that. I'm the sort of person who sits on the surf again. Oh, well, that would never happen. That's ridiculous. The other example is the, uh, the Grand Theft Auto games. You played the Grand Theft Auto computer games, video games?
1: Very rarely. So long. because I don't play video games, I would just like to point out. I just haven't
0: played those. Everybody loves those games, They're hugely popular, I'm sure you know that. The latest one's just come out, sold a bucket load. Um and like hailed for their for their realism, the way you can drive around and you know, it's open world, you can go and talk to anyone, you can go and go to a strip club. But if you play those games, it's like set in a real world, you know, it's supposed to be like a, a, a recreation of various American cities. If you drive into a lamppost or knock an old lady down, the police chase you after about, you know, three or four minutes of being chased by the police, if you get away, then that's just it. Like, no one, like, tries to find you again. You just go, oh, it's a dead pensioner. That's fine. <laughs> and I just ca- I can't get past that. I think you've created this world. You've you've created it to try and be really realistic. I get that it's supposed to be fun, and running over a pensioner may be fun to some people. But there has to be some consequences further down the line, otherwise your world doesn't make sense. I
1: think this is fantastic feedback for the developers. I think we should get on it, because imagine like you know, when they're just chasing it. It's great. Get (laughs) on to them. I might send an angry email. (laughs) Um, How many have we talked about? Not very many. Two. two. (laughs) Well, we kind of touched on the first one, that most creative people have a great deal of physical energy but are often quiet and at rest, and they can work long hours at great concentration. So this idea that, again, they're a big contradiction...
0: Yes, you can do that. You
1: can work long hours. You had to when you were finishing a novel and getting all the um, the final edit ready for your, your agent.
0: I suppose so. And and when you have a deadline, you do what you you do what you have to do. I suppose
1: you do. Yeah, because you know you have to. But I know people that can't do that. I know people that could not. That are just like I'm sorry, but I cannot go and sit in that room for you know 12 hours to do that.
0: And are they typically non-creative people? Would you say?
1: Are oh, mentalists mad bad people? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if my little brother has ever sat um, doing one specific thing that's not related to YouTube.
0: He has a very modern mind,
1: though. Oh, is it just modern minds that that flip between things?
0: Well, I I think my mind has changed over the last few years.
1: Yeah, we're all becoming
0: mush up top. I str- I struggle to focus on one thing for more than 10-15 minutes these well, days. If you
1: get a good book, you can't just say Look, Well, I mean, we don't have time to do that now But, you know, I've had long stints of I'm not doing anything else except reading this book I'm talking hours
0: Yeah, I, I, do, I do have that but, um, but not very often Most of my life When I'm not doing something like that So I, yeah, I can still do that And I can still, for instance, work for a, a, a period of time um, I can sit and record a, a semi-coherent podcast with you for 45 minutes mm. but when I'm not doing that like most of the western world I'm constantly flitting between one thing and another that's, that's my natural state now as it, as it is most people's. that's what our
1: environment forces us to do but I guess the question is You know, do you have the ability to sit and do something when it's required of you? Which at certain times in your life it is required of you.
0: I think so, yes, but I don't think that's something that's specific to creative people. I'm not. I'm not. This is. No, that's good.
1: Good to. It's good to know. Um, this thing about imagination moving between imagination and fantasy but still rooted in a sense of reality I think we've touched a little bit on that already
0: yeah I think so I think we've covered that more or less
1: but what what I liked about that point was that it finished with attention to real detail is, is that being really important allows a creative person to imagine ways to improve them
0: yeah I think this is a really important one it's something that I think I've talked about before um, either on the podcast or the blog but i attention to detail when you're writing is by far the most important thing. A lot of people who do, rather naffly, in my opinion, describe themselves as creative, I think you can often get yourself tangled up in... Maybe it's this thing I talked about, this fervour of of excitement when you first start writing, you have an idea. But a lot of people just stop at that. They think that writing is... Oh, I I, I sat down last night and I couldn't stop writing. I wrote 10,000 words. It's the best short story. That I've written and it's fantastic. I'm going to send it straight off to an agent or a publisher, or I'm going to stick it on Amazon myself. And and that's that's kind of that is writing, but it's the first part of writing. The biggest part of writing, of course, is in the editing and attention to detail, which is a, a trait commonly associated with perhaps non less creative people or non creative people, whatever the right phrases. Um, I think is by far the most important thing. And 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 I think it's right that most creative people who actually then go on to finish things and publish work and and write stuff that's really absolutely fantastic, like the very best work, mm. it's not been sort of knocked off and then sort of not thought of. The attention attention to detail is absolutely paramount. Absolutely.
1: And I think that's the thing that's most intimidating to me about novel writing is that I can sit there and imagine the fantastical side of things and. You know where I want to go with something, but it's when you read a really excellent book that is just really rooted, like everything about it is so realistic, and regardless of what it's about. It could be about you know big worms and sandy planets, whatever, like June, but still, it if you
0: oh, I was thinking, what's the other one? Is it critters? No, what was the no, one? Tremors, tremors. tremors. Yeah.
1: I bet that was that was
0: was it ever a book? I don't know, yeah.
1: great though just remember them jumping from stone to stone on the big sticks.
0: Yeah, giant worms.
1: Um, But it is that idea that everything, you know... I'm just trying to think of an example. But a lot of writers that I really respect are the ones that... They've written something that you feel that I couldn't write that. Because they are so... It's just like they've gone so deeply into detail. And they seem to know exactly what they're talking about. Even if it's about, you know, medieval... Leather workers, or something, in villages somewhere.
0: Yeah, I do. I, I know. I know what you mean. I, I, there are certain types of book where there is that, but I, but and not. I'm not saying that I'm a master of attention to detail in, in the least. But there wasn't a lot of. I did a lot of research about stroke for writing *Aes Frangelica, but there wasn't an awful lot of that detail that made it into the book. There were no lengthy passages that explain what a stroke is, or or even or even exactly how it how it um, affected. Uh, you know the character who, who, it, who it affected So, but it's more the attention to detail is more for me is about sort of sweating over every single word and like mm-hmm. more about the actual creative process
1: yeah well I guess interpreted it slightly different
0: ways we are we're interpreting this list entirely differently
1: cool. so what about this idea that creative people could be both introverted and extroverted at the same time
0: I mean I've as as someone who used to run a spoken word night, I can absolutely vouch for that being completely true. You would you would have someone who would sit in the corner. It's not a specific person. There were several people who would sit in the corner, absolutely nervous. They'd speak to you at the start, say, oh, "I was thinking of reading my poem or piece," and I would think, I would say, "Yeah, that's great. You're on a you know you're on first or you know third or whatever it is and I would think, "Oh my goodness, they are gonna." how are they going to possibly get on that stage Mm -hmm. and perform in front of 100 people and then they'd get on stage and they would be an entirely different person and just blow everyone away and then you speak to them again afterwards and they'd be shy and retiring (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah what do you think
1: yeah I mean I I can certainly relate to that I've had situations where I have absolutely dreaded performing and then when I'm up there I feel like you know they've had to send the bouncers on to pull me off because I've just been I've just ad- like loved it so much you know I could have been up there all night, which is weird. But before it, it's like this, you sweat about it and you build this thing up as if like you know you're not going to be able to do it, and then you can't imagine doing anything else. I'm not sure. I guess now, when you've done quite a lot of readings, not that I've done years worth of readings, but when you've done a few. You get to the stage where you don't worry about it so much, obviously. But still, if I have to get up and talk about things that I'm not sure about, so if it's not my own writing, if it's not something that I'm presenting that I've done myself, I can get extremely nervous about it. Do you
0: think being nervous is the same as being introverted, then?
1: Um, Well, I guess being introverted is the idea that somebody wants to spend time on their own. And you kind of have to have to want to spend time do you know what I'm not introverted at all mm. so I guess I don't agree with this point I've just realised that
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I don't think I am I think I'm quite I think I am probably quite extrovert but I also like I mean I love one of the things I love most about writing is that I get to sit on my own for a while I, I there's something that sort of solitude of writing I actually quite enjoy but Although, is it not just
1: because you're recharging your mental and physical batteries for going back out into the world again? And a being
0: bit? an extrovert, yeah, <laughs> waving my <them with> pants <laughs> in the air and that kind of thing. Like
1: a Duracell bunny. Do you know when I um, got my current job, I had to do a personality test
0: before I. And You got the job.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, you should have seen the results. They said, obviously they said to me, "You have to do it imagining a work situation," and it was in Danish. And back then, I. Um, I could speak Danish but I wasn't as confident in Danish as I am now. So I think I panicked. (laughs) Yeah, good. I think I panicked a little bit and I imagined myself sitting at home doing like writing and not really the job and when I went in to have the feedback on it I looked like an absolute maniac. I mean, complete extrovert. Like I never wanted to be alone writing ever. (laughs) All I wanted to do was walk around the office looking for people to chat to a cup of coffee. That's the way I came across and I think it's, it's really interesting. I... It was because I didn't want to sit at home writing all the time. I needed interaction with other people. Um, And luckily I was able to explain that in the the second interview afterwards that, um, you know, maybe came across a little bit extreme there because I imagined being at home on my own.
0: You should have arrived on your first day wearing a clown's costume.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I dress like a British person in Denmark where everybody dresses very conservatively, so I, I...
0: I do kind what of look a little mean? bit like. What does a cla- that mean? I don't understand. How am I dressed? Am I dressed as a British person?
1: You look outrageous to me. Now that I am <laughs> slightly Danish, no, Danish Danish women only wear black.
0: I haven't noticed that.
1: They are very they're very restrained with what they wear in general. Yeah. And I think to them, British people, Irish people, people from Western Europe look like absolute lunatics.
0: Because they wear colours.
1: Yeah. It's the kind of thing And patterns Patterns
0: I'm wearing a pattern jumper What would, What's the And this is made This actually And I wore it special Is made by a Danish designer
1: Really? Yeah It's fantastic Is it a Christmas jumper?
0: It looks like a Christmas jumper <laughs> it's like, it's like It's got a touch of The Giles brand I, the
1: I only ask you that Because I wore a jumper Like that once And someone asked me If it was a Christmas jumper And I was devastated Was it June? <laughs> no I think I got it For Christmas
0: Let's answer one more of these uh, One answer. I'm not sure we're answering anything here but let's talk about one more of these points and then let's move on to listeners' questions
1: What about the rebe- rebellious versus conservative?
0: Okay, so most creative people are both rebellious and conservative and this is the quote from the book It is impossible to be creative without having first internalised an area of culture, so it's difficult to see how a person can be creative without being both traditional and conservative and at the same time rebellious and iconoclastic.
1: I I like this idea that you know the boundaries of things in order to be able to test them, but you have to want to test them a little bit and ready to do it.
0: And is this the idea of um, having first internalised an area of culture? Is that what you mean?
1: Well, I guess. like The idea of being conservative is that you play by the rules, so you, you engage in society in a certain way, but then you're ready to just say but the way that 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 works there I want to take it to a new level or a diff- in a different direction
0: okay so in a writing context you might you might want to like not many people can get away with writing something like Ulysses or Tristram Shandy where it's mm. ever so slightly bonkers like kind of completely plays with what we expect sentences to look like and mm. all that kind of thing and for a um, I haven't read it yet, but a, uh, I will mention it now, a book by, and I think this is how you pronounce it, it may not be, but Imar. I think it's an Irish name, maybe, I don't know, oh. a McBride, the book is definitely called... Oh, Aymar, sorry,
1: Ema. yeah, Aymar. Aymar,
0: okay, uh, the book is called um, uh, The Girl is a Half, Half-Formed Thing, I think, and... Mm. Um, it's just won a prize which I've forgotten this is a terrible anecdote isn't it I can't remember anything <laughs> like about it it's like
1: the vague news we're getting here
0: <laughs> um, but um, I've, I've I've read enough of it to know that it's very unconventional it's like it's extremely unconventional very rebellious you might say mm. but in order to do that she needs there needs to be some sort of framework behind it there needs to be and this is where the conservative comes in you need to be able to um, have something that people can hang on to and understand if they're able to kind of venture off with you as a writer as a reader into your kind of into the rebellious part of it so it's i i can i i think it's true you do need to you need to know the rules don't you it's like with any good writer you kind of you need to know the know the rules and then you can create your own voice once you've kind of got the basics down
1: yeah i mean i i think i agree with this in general but i've just suddenly um remembered it something from probably about 10 years ago about this did you ever see the Spanish girl she was really really young she must have been about 10.
0: Are we talking about an actual girl or? An
1: actual girl a real one who had done paintings um, a series of paintings that were hailed as like absolute the next Picasso and they were very very distinctive so they resembled that kind of style very abstract but very very unique to her and I imagine that she was not somebody who was testing the boundaries of conventional society that she adjusted to. That was just where she wanted to go. That was what her body and her mind told her to do, and she did it. So I don't know whether you know, it actually works in every case, that you need to know what the norm is before you're able to step outside it.
0: I guess that's the advantage of youth. You don't need to learn the rules. You can just be as creative as you like.
1: Or do you think people get less creative as they get older?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, because they
1: get less playful.
0: Some of the evidence would say not. I mean, some of the. I mean, and I don't. I've never thought that way about myself. I expect to write my best work when I'm, I don't know, forty-seven.
1: Using your brain, not yeah. your heart.
0: I'm just joking. No, that's another good point. Oh, I thought it was a ridiculous point. No, I think it's a good point. I think it comes back to what I said earlier on. Most writers. Um, most writers, um, you start off by writing with your heart, and you kind of get everything down. You've had this brilliant idea, and at some point, you need to let your head. In fact, I, I wrote about this on the blog a couple of years ago. Something about the um, the um, heart and mind test, or something like that. I should put a you link to it in the show Pop notes. It in the
1: show notes, yeah, fantastic. Is it time for um, listeners' questions?
0: It certainly is. that noise tells me such. So the question we have and this comes from Henrik who I've conversed with on the Twitterverse for a few years, it feels like. Uh we're not like best mates or anything. But you know, I know enough uh that I want to answer Did this Joe's question. Last name? No, I don't think I do. Um but I know his Twitter handle is the Knows Best T H E that's the Nose K N O W S and best, B-E-S-T.
1: <laughs> Great.
0: And the question is, how do you get from, and this is where he quotes, this sounds like a story which could become a nice novel, to, quotes again, I'm writing this novel, question mark.
1: And I would love to know the answer to this. Not that I think that you're going to give it to me. The, the answer to the question. Good Lord. And <laughs> because I've, as I've told you before, I have... Um, I've had ideas and I've written them down and I've got lost in the planning stage and I've just given up.
0: What was it that made you give up?
1: I think I just got bogged down in the details. Maybe that's, that's, that was my problem, was that I was, it was too much attention to detail, like trying to set up. But why was that person going to do that? And who is, who is this person and who do they know? And, and I just got so lost in the trying to weave together this web of reality around the story that I just stopped.
0: So you you a quitter... I'm a
1: quitter no I changed I, I'm a switcher I'll switch to poetry
0: indeed um, for me it's just about decisions it's, it's any writing any any individual piece of writing any individual sentence that you write it's about making decisions so if you're writing a story that sounds like it might become a nice novel and you, and you want to know how you actually end up writing that novel is that you just decide that you want to give it a go
1: but do you, I mean? Do you need to be sitting down from the start saying I'm writing a novel with this idea, or can you sit down and, and just mess around with it and say I'm going to try putting it down as maybe even as a short story? <coughs> Excuse me, or just a first first like free flow of writing, like it doesn't have to belong to any kind of form. Do you think that that's important that you're writing a novel from the start, or that you just need to get something down on paper that resembles that idea and fleshes it out of it?
0: probably the last one but I think that it's I think that it doesn't really matter I think that everyone writes differently and um and you 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 genuinely you can plan as much as you like I think but you still change things in the writing so you can have a plan of what this is going to be for example you could start writing a novel and you could get 10,000 words in and realise that the first 5,000 after the first 5,000 words you should have stopped and it should have been a short story um in my case, I've been writing, started writing the second novel a few months ago, properly, and also tried to enter the short story competition I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. And I realised that, that they're more, or like the same thing. That like the the short story is now going to be part of the novel, and I didn't really know that at the time. Although I think probably if I'd have thought about it more, I could have guessed, but. Um, it seemed clear to me that that was the case and that's because most, almost, you know, all novels you need two good ideas and not one that's a little tip I think that some people have an idea for a novel and they think, well this is a good idea man saves dog in sea that's a novel but unless man saves dog in sea and it's in the middle of a nuclear war that's two ideas the dog is his wife (laughs) that would (laughs) would have been a better one hang on, I'm just going to write that down (laughs) don't quit that one (laughs) <laughs> um then then um yeah you need you need more than one idea to make a novel so that's but for a short story usually it does hang around a single thing so if you know there's also the idea that there is an awful lot of words that go into writing a novel mm. therefore if you think you're writing a story which could become a nice novel you have to try and think about whether you whether you have got that second idea whether you uh, whether your character is has enough Potential or enough depth that they could play a part in other other parts of the novel that their that their backstory is is worth fleshing out. Um, so yes, yeah, so, but but that again, it's still a decision. You still have to decide whether you want to do that or not. And the only real way you you can you can um, make those decisions is if you if you give things a go. Um,
1: well, that's it, isn't it? Giving it a go because presumably there's going to be so many ideas which you sit down and you start writing them as a novel and you actually are physically doing it, which is really important. But then you realise that it's, it's not working.
0: Yeah, and A.S. for Angelica, my first novel, that started out as um, um, a short story with an entirely different narrator. And I realised that I was not... I realised I'd got the right idea, but that I just hadn't quite got the the structure, the infrastructure right, the framework... So I changed that and went off in a slightly different direction, and that turned into a novel. Um, but it's more—it's—it's it's all about just making. It's all, I know it sounds like a stupidly obvious thing to say, but all it takes to write a novel is to decide to write one, um, and then you just have to just kind of and do it. Physically
1: it. tape yourself with your hands to the, the the desk so that you can't move. That's true.
0: But if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't mentally said, okay, I'm writing a novel, then you're you're not going to write one. You're going to quit. You're going to stop because you're going to realise that actually it's really hard. But if you've mentally decided, I'm going to write a novel, and I know that it's going to be difficult, and I'm but, I, but I've decided now and I really want to do it, then that decision will help you get through those sort of difficult patches, I think.
1: Fantastic.
0: I don't know if that's answered the question or not, really. No, but... What do you mean, I- no?
1: No, I don't know either. I never know anything, remember? Um, But all I know, for sure, is that I don't know. (laughs) But we had many more readers' questions. Not readers' questions, listeners' questions. Oh, listeners' questions. Which, presumably, we should next week but there was also that one about how many drafts are too many drafts which was a good one which you didn't even write down this week that we should talk about
0: how many drafts is too many drafts
1: yeah we, there's lots we'll, we need to collect more questions up and, and maybe talk about them next week I think because there
0: were a few more there are but then don't be afraid to send us some new ones because that's if, what I mean
1: that's what I mean we need questions
0: we do because some of the ones you send are rubbish <laughs> <laughs> that's not true they're all brilliant brilliant questions oh. and, and greatly appreciated um, if you want to send us questions, you can do so by
1: tweeting us. At the Flying Poet is my Twitter handle, and yours is pretty simple too. Okay.
0: At Ian Broom, apart from the spelling I A I N B O D O M E. And um, if you want to listen to previous episodes of the podcast, you can find them all at IanBroom.com slash podcast. And uh, thanks for listening. We're going to go and have something to eat and, and um, replenish our glasses.
1: Absolutely. And then spend the next few days um, enjoying Copenhagen.
0: Indeed. Tag. You're
1: welcome. Wilbur <laughs> See you next week.
0: Bye bye.